This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Is Kali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, you can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't hear it, but it's coming. Can you feel it in your nose, in your throat? A tickle, a shortness of breath. It's a silent, invisible threat, and it's coming from inside the car. Coming this summer to every waking moment spent outdoors in this smoggy city. Watch out for ozone. Today is Friday, July 29th, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the city of imminent smog. (laughs) It's Friday, and we're in the Lindy Zimmer studio at Westward to talk through the news of the week. The news of the week is air quality. It's time... It's that time of year again. It's going to get bad. Bri, I see you're shaking your head. Our guest shaking her head. You said imminent and like we're in it, right? Yeah, I think we're in it. It's always kind of scary when you look at, I I live on the eighth floor of a building and so I have a great view of the mountains and it's always a little disconcerting when you can't see the mountains. Yeah, no, that's a great indicator, Joanne. That's a great indicator when you can, and you're like, oh, there's no mountains today. Yeah. And it's a little scary because it's like, wait, this is freaky. Are they gone? Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a possibility in this current world. Exactly. Because you never know what's going to happen next. You, you just don't. You it's really just, don't. Yeah, it's weird. Weird. <laughs> All right. Well, we're getting into it already. I should introduce everybody. Bree, of course, is here. Bree, welcome. Hi, Paul. And, and joining us this week is my friend, recently retired host for Colorado Public Radio and soon to be columnist for the Denver Post, Joanne Allen is here. I am here. I am excited about so many things in retirement. And thank you for mentioning the column. It actually went online yesterday. Uh, okay. Well, well, we'll get into that a little bit more later on in the show. But for now, we got we to gotta talk more about this smog problem and specifically RTD. That's the big story of the week. RTD, Regional Transportation District, the agency in charge of running our buses, running our light rails. They have been all over the news. Lots of big stories. Um, The first one seems like a really, really nice thing. Um, Thanks to state lawmakers earlier this year and $28 million from our state budget, all RTD services from buses to light rail will be free for one month starting on Monday, August 1st. So you can just get on the bus. You don't have to pay. Ride it to your heart's content. Ride it back and forth, up and down Colfax all day, whatever you want to do. Let's do that. Really? Do you want to? We could. I say that and now I don't know if I really mean it. <laughs> well, you know, I hope you 
don't mean it <laughs> because you're not going to have any fun. I know. I was going to say it might it might taint my love of Colfax a little bit if I had to ride the bus all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, also those seats aren't the most comfortable. Yeah. So they're even worse on the light rail. But uh, they're not very comfy. You can't just, you know. You can't just really settle in on the 15. (laughs) Nah. Mm -mm. You'll want to get off soon. Well, we're lucky to have Joanne here today because, Joanne, you are uh, an RTD rider. I am an avid RTD rider because I believe in public transportation. I've only owned two cars in my entire life, and they were totally must situations that I had to have a car. But I believe in public transportation and I actually do enjoy it. And I'm not going to sit and ride for all day, you know, on the 15. (laughs) But, you know, I enjoy the ability to, number one, do work on the on the ride. Mm -hmm. And also you get exercise, you got to get to that bus stop or to that train stop so you're not in a car you know trying to park as close to the door as you can and walk as little as possible or if I go to the grocery store I you know will pay less money because I'm going to get fewer groceries because I got to carry them home I got to carry them home in the bag get to the train and, and you know and take them so I just have gotten into the habit of being a public transportation person and I adore it also because I love to tweak my friends who say hey I'll come pick you up and I'm like oh no I can just take the train and they'll say but you know we'll give you a ride I say yeah but when we get to the destination you got to look for parking and I'm in the car with you looking for parking I could easily be at the venue chilling until you get there if I just take (laughs) the train or the bus are you (laughs) I'm like why why let me drive you let me pick you up no (laughs) there's something about being knowing that in part you are helping with air pollution by not having a car Mm -hmm. but I'm just so in the habit of and I just wish more people would whether or not there's a free month to ride or not, because I, I'm not so sure that a free month of riding is going to make people, yeah, it's going to make them change and see the light. They're, they're, that's, you know, I don't know if they're going to even try it. Well, well, let's get into it, because that's the big question here is like, does this make sense? Because the, the whole point is to reduce the ozone problem, reduce this terrible air quality situation we've got in the summers. But, Bree, what did you think? Is well, this policy going to work? Real quick, though, I want to ask Joanna a question because you'd mentioned this earlier when we were chatting before we were recording that you'd lived in New York and you'd lived in Philly. And I lived in New York for a year and I didn't have a car. It's very hard to have a car, honestly. It's expensive. Parking, where where do you park in New York? I have no idea. And taking the bus and the subway were easier. I wonder if that sets you up for success to a certain extent being in Colorado because you already had that mindset of getting around. Yeah, it did because I, you know, New York's a huge place and you can get from one part of it to another faster, a lot faster on public transportation, not the buses so much, but definitely on the subway. And so, yeah, I had owned a car before I moved to New York, and ever since New York, I have been just dedicated to taking public transportation. But you're right, it's a part of me. Every friend I have in the world knows that I'm a big public trans person. And so I learned relatively early in my 20s that this is a way to go. 
this is a way that is easy to go. And when I came to Denver, I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to have to buy a car. But then I met some folks who don't have cars here, believe it or not. Even on like the second day I was in town, I met people who didn't have cars. I'm like, well, maybe I don't need a car. And I went to the, you know, looking for a car to buy and took some friends with me and thought about it seriously. And then I saw that other person who told me that they didn't have a car again. And she said, you don't need a car in Denver if you're just going to pretty much be in Denver. And so I rented a place on the E and F and H line because it would get me to my work quite easily or, down, uh, or to downtown quite easily. So I ended up really loving moving here because I didn't have to get a car. I do have a parking space at my <laughs> apartment building, but I don't have a car to put in it. <laughs> That's valuable. It you is. Could, you could rent that. I know. I know. You could rent that space. Sorry, Paul, I just wanted to say, I just, I found that part this to me is the crux of the it's problem. the entire thing it's yeah. the entire question joanne is the example of what it takes yeah. mentally for folks who have the luxury like myself i have the luxury of an option some folks don't cars are expensive but you know i'm sure you went to look at a car and were like what am i doing yeah yeah plus i there's just so many aspects of owning a car that i don't like i don't i don't even like going to the gas station and I hate that thing of having to check your tire pressure. I'm like, no, I'm not doing any of that <laughs> kind of stuff. Or finding a mechanic you trust. I mean, I'm yeah. very fortunate my cousin's my mechanic. That's part of the reason I have the kind of car I do. Because the person that works on it is someone who's in my family who I trust. So, But I agree with you. You have to be someone who has the option yeah. of owning a car. Because if you've got a bunch of kids, yeah, you, you're going to need it's a hard. car. It's hard. Or if you are not able-bodied. If you yeah. have, you know, some sort of a, a need to to use a car that you, you, you can't just go run for a train. Um, you, you, you need a car, and, and that's understandable. But there are so many people, so many families with three and four cars and everybody go in their own you know, separate direction. Every, it's just like, that's ridiculous. Come on, get rid, of, get rid of at least one of those cars if you have four cars in your family. Come on. Well, I don't know. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle it's a it, you have to build your life around it like you said you you chose the place to live based on what transit lines was on like you knew that that was your mindset coming to denver because of the place you had come from i don't think most people here have made that same choice and i, I don't think the city really allows that like i i have some data here from the 2019 denver moves report from the denver department of transportation and infrastructure of course you do you nerd oh i got so much <laughs> data out. right here of I course got so much <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, well, they, th this report says that only 10% of Denver residents live within a half mile of a train station, and only 25% of Denver residents are within a convenient walk to all-day frequent service. Or a safe walk. Or, you know what I mean? Like a, an actual, physically accessible walk. That is a knock against the system here, is that it really doesn't serve the, the area well. I don't have to worry about can I get a train, can I get a, a bus, um, because I am close to both. There's actually a bus stop right in front of my apartment, I have to admit. But, um, but they're just parts of the city that you have to take two and three buses to get to you know, where you want to go, and that is a consideration uh, to take. So if it was a better product, I guess that's one of the 
knocks against uh, the, the system here is that it doesn't really serve the public well. It has a long way to go to do that. And it's so funny because for seven years here working, I mostly you know, just rode the train and the bus, and now I have time to discover neighborhoods I never saw, n- knew about. I could see them from the train, and I couldn't always. So, so when you do ride only public transportation in Denver, where you go in the city is limited. And I'm amazed at some of the neighborhoods that I've seen and where things are that I've heard about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's pros and cons here. Mm-hmm. Well, Bria, I got to hear your opinion on this because this is something we've talked about a lot. And this is kind of an interesting thing RTD is trying here with this free month. I love the idea. I just don't know how effective it's going to be. You know what I mean? And this comes down to a lot of people like me, the sing, often single occupant car driver, making a decision to change our patterns. Like I could think about getting here. We, you know, we record at Westward on Thursdays. I live at Alameda and Federal. We're at Lincoln and 13th. It's not impossible. Those are major intersections, right? Um, but I, I don't know, man. My attachment to my car is deep. It's like my closet. It's where I keep all my crap. I like to listen to my pot. Although I will say, again, living I lived in New York for a fleeting year. And that time I spent on the train, I know what you're saying, Joanne. Reading playing sudoku just like chilling out observing people it's unparalleled you can't do that in your car in your car you're like doing something like you're driving when you're not driving you're just experiencing the city so it's a mindset change for people like me there's another factor i want to talk about <laughs> is it does it involve numbers and stuff no like that? numbers okay. but i i have to say i kept reading about this program and the more i read about it the less excited i got about it and i i kind of think this is gonna this is a disaster of an idea um for two reasons one the rtd's current services the network does not serve enough people um and well actually i guess a few reasons another one People have tried this before. Other cities have tried this like temporary free fare thing. There's data available. We know it doesn't work. Like our our friend Nate Miner from Colorado Public Radio, he reported earlier on a similar experiment that RTD did in the 70s. That a federal report came back on this experiment that showed that free fares resulted in a significant ridership increase, yes, But it also found that only about 12,000 bus trips a day were made by former drivers or auto passengers, amounting to a decrease in driving so small it was indistinguishable from typical daily variations in driving patterns caused by things like weather. It didn't remove car trips. That's not what these temporary free fare programs do. It does have this twinge of idealism. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is going to be amazing, you guys. We're going to get everybody on the bus. Are we? Maybe not. Because they don't serve people in an adequate way. Like, Joanne, again, you live in what's called transit-oriented development, right? De- housing that is connected to a trans, It's that was probably part of the purpose, right? Or they built the transit to connect. And that's just not the case for so much of Denver. We're part of that post-World War II sprawl situation where 
buses were not supposed to serve the suburbs because white folks didn't want that for many reasons. I mean, this is like, again, we get back to our history of segregation and redlining and how our cities are laid out and built. And that infrastructure reflects who gets served today. So again, you're right, Paul. I mean, I love the idea, but what do we really need? And also, I would ask this, Joanne, do you think this is a PR problem partially for RTD? Because to me, as a driver, I read about RTD all day, and it's a real bummer. And I think, why would I want it? This thing seems to serve no one. But as a writer, do you find that it serves you? Well, it serves me, but then again, you just explained why. Sure. I'm right there. I made a, a, a conscious decision to be on a train line. Um, I am going to go to the places that the the lines go to so um the the pr problem comes in i think because when i first came to denver there was a whole thing around the a train sure and the crossings and the you know so they got a lot of bad press as a result of brand new thing that doesn't work yes and doesn't work for months (laughs) like (laughs) that's not good that's the worst pr and being and being behind schedule on so many of the i guess the commuter lines Mm -hmm. and a few of the maybe one or two lines have extended in the city since uh since being here but i think that really gave them uh, a black eye a bad rep and you couple that with this being a western city meaning out west here, folks were like, car is king. We are not going to put in any kind of uh, mass transit system. And I don't know if it was because Detroit decided, helped to decide that, and the oil companies all helped to decide that. But the major cities tried to put in public transportation after the fact. You know, once you've gotten the population, then it's like, oh, well, maybe. No, whereas it grew in cities like Chicago and New York, Mm -hmm. um, along with the population. So there was, uh, you know, like a kernel or a hub, and then everything kind of went out from that. Here, you're trying to put in something in retrospect. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's, it's hard. It's hard to get people who are used to these wide open spaces and love to go into the mountains. You, you need a car for that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I've long thought that this, the, the, the private, the streetcar system that Denver used to have that people look back on and idealize, I think that that stifled the, the growth of a, of a public transit system because those were private streetcars. And then when those went away, when that model didn't make sense anymore, we were left trying to like figure out in retrospect how to re, refit our streets and our, our system with transit. I just learned something from you, Paul. I didn't know there were private streetcars. Yeah. yeah, they would build out to where, like I think about, the one I'm thinking about is Lakeside Amusement Park. That was part of a deal. It's like a private streetcar was like, we'll come out to you. It was like a business ah, deal. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. 
There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. All right. Well, there's one other aspect of this this uh, RTD Free Fair program that I really want to hear uh, your take on, Joanne. Um, I was shocked to learn yesterday when I was reading about this that the initial proposal was to do free fairs all summer. That's what lawmakers wanted to do. And it was, in fact, RTD that pushed back and said, we do not have the capacity. We can't do it. We're, we don't have enough drivers. People do not want to drive these buses and do this work because conditions on these buses are not suitable for it's not a comfortable workplace um which made me remember this beautiful piece i read in the washington post like maybe a month I or two ago i was just thinking about this paul oh it's it was like it broke my heart but it was a profile of a bus driver named suna carabay and i i'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes i, I hope everybody reads it but i want to read just a, a short excerpt it says in the past two years, Denver area bus drivers had reported being assaulted by their passengers more than 145 times. Suna had been spit on, hit with a toolbox, threatened with a knife, pushed in the back while driving, and chased into a restroom during her break. Her windshield had been shattered with rocks or glass bottles three times. After the most recent incident, she'd written to a supervisor that, quote, this job now is like being a human stress ball. Joanne, does that sound like your experience riding RTD? Not at all. Yeah? That is, whoa. I mean, I think of Denver as a relatively calm place. Um, and I'm recognizing more and more that there's some bad stuff happening here, too. But I have never seen any of that. Hmm. I've never seen um, law enforcement or who are they, security guards or whatever, they, the, the transit security people, mm -hmm. uh, the, the operators. I've never seen any of them threatened. But then again, where am I riding? You know, I'm not riding in areas where there might be some controversy sure. or people who um, are, you know, at their wits end for some reason or another. So I, I'm, you know, I'm a middle class chick and that's, that's what I do. That's where I'm at. So I, I've, I've not seen that. Mm -hmm. I think that the light rail system and the buses have been free for the past two years. <laughs> oh yeah? Yeah, because I ride every day and I have not had a security officer do a fair check on me in over two years. Oh, on the light rail. Cause on the light the rail. The light rail is like an honor system to a certain extent. No, you, but the light rail, but at on. least you knew at least maybe two or three times a week you would get checked because there would be personnel there checking your, your, you know, your eco card or your ticket or whatever. There's nobody, there's no security officers riding mm. the trains, it, especially I would say in the last year. And I, I guess it's pandemic related. Yeah, Fewer of them issue. are available as a staffing issue. But even when I go to get on the bus, they, the bus drivers don't look at you. You flash your ticket. They don't even look at you. So the system is already free, and I'm not encouraging that you people not buy your tickets and stuff. But the fact is, it's free now. I don't know. When, <laughs> I don't know when they're going to, st you know, start checking fares again. But you know, if you take the Breaking A train, news. yeah, <laughs> Joanne Allen says RTD is already free. free. What are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I think maybe the commuter trains they check tickets. I know the A train mm. they they still ch uh, check tickets. 
But otherwise, I have not seen a security officer in years. Fascinating. Fascinating. Isn't that, I isn't mean, that wild? Is a helpful anecdote from a person that utilizes public transit every Isn't day. that wild? <laughs> that is wild. But I, I think, again, it speaks to that lack of staffing. Yeah. Mm. You know, which a lot of industries are facing for many reasons, but... I don't know. I mean, the discreet, you'll have to read this Washington Post piece. I, I it's, will. Incre- it's incredible what she says she's experienced as a driver. And um, it just made me think, well, of course, I wouldn't want to do that job. I no. don't blame her for not wanting to do that job. No. Nobody should be treated that way. It's mm-hmm. dangerous. If you had told me that that was a story from New York, I'd go, oh, yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> but Metro Denver? Yeah. I mean, she's she's a driver on the 15. So this, we're talking about Colfax. We're talking yeah. about downtown. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the other news this week from RTD is that the uh, we, and we don't have to talk about this one much. This is you know we've had this talked about this on the show quite a bit uh, earlier in the year. But uh, RTD's board approved a plan uh, to overhaul. They're saying overhaul bus routes all across the metro area. It's going to be rolling out over the next five years, but it's going to change routes so it. They're going to focus, so it's going to increase service more on the busiest routes in the city and remove other routes entirely, mostly in the suburbs. Um, so it's not going to affect cost like this free fare program, but hopefully it's going to serve the people that need these services most, I think is the idea. I, again, we had this conversation with Nate. Like It's that paradox of like, how do you get people to ride if you're removing opportunities for them to ride because there's not enough people in their area riding? You know what I mean? Like if there isn't a high demand for the bus by your house, cutting it, is that the way to, you know, like how do we get people to use public transit if we keep making it harder for people to use public transit? Because the high trafficked areas are probably, I would assume in areas where like downtown, Okay, so the bus runs all the time downtown. Who can afford to live downtown? Well, maybe what they should do is yeah. increase it, not just in high traffic areas, but underserved areas. That's because a great difference. Yeah. I, I often take the 24 bus. It goes up University, and it goes all the way to the A train, which is how I would take, you know, get to the airport, the airport is, sure. is to do that. It used to run every half hour. But since the pandemic, it now runs on the hour. And, and the bus stop is right in front of my house. Super convenient. I love it. But often there's like two or three people on it. You know, even in my neighborhood where people take the train a lot. But that bus, and I'm not saying cut the 24 RTD board, but um, it's, I, I would rather see that bus in an area where people don't have cars and need that service more. Now, I don't particularly not want to have the bus stop right in front of my apartment, but it's usually not a lot of folks on it. Mm-hmm. Now, Downing Street, that bus, the is it the 12? I guess it is. I yeah, think it's, it's the, the 12. 12. That is a crowded bus very often. So they need maybe to put the 24 over and you run know, it on, on the 12 yeah. yeah it it will cut service that i love and like to use but you know i can get to the airport i don't i don't absolutely i can take you know i can go down to uh union station get on the train and go there i don't need it to go to the airport so it, it, i think they really do need to take a look at the buses where there are few riders especially in the middle of the day and 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 rearrange that service mm-hmm 
and but don't like that's don't what they're put, trying to do i guess yeah. my question is just like it seems counter to this thing that they're telling us which is we're also making buses free this month to get you to use them well i've never used it before but it's not running that much near my house now so i'm definitely not gonna use it i don't know it's, well that, that's the thing for me where i came down on is like this free fare program that wasn't rtd's idea that was like the lawmakers the politicians sure. I, I think RTDs, there's, it's, it's smart people doing the most and doing the best they can with limited resources. And they've had a bad reputation for a long time, and we're not funding them properly. And if we funded them properly to pay bus drivers adequately to want to do this job, that we would have much better transportation services and people would be able to build their lives around that. Well, do you think part of the problem is uh, the fact that folks in Colorado don't like to be taxed? I mean, yes, they absolutely, I, I have never I been in a place like this where it's just like services for the public. Forget that. We want our, you know, we want our tax cut and we want it to keep coming for decades. You know, it's, I want it's, to drive in my car tax free with the windows yeah. up, smoking, leave me alone. It's like we're, we're here for the greater good. We should be here helping each other. And if the greater good requires you to pay a little more in taxes that you can afford C-A-N can afford, then do it. Or just redistribute some of the things that we spend money on. Yeah. Right? Too. I mean, yeah. I think this is transit. Uh, this is a thing I hear from transit advocates a lot is, like you're saying, Paul, we just don't fund it. Yeah. So it's strained to begin with. It's on limited resources. We're expecting it to, we're expecting RTD to work miracles when maybe we need to redistribute the state's budget. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's a good spot to end this segment. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Look at you um, putting the end to it. That's <laughs> what I do. So you're like, just like, let's put an end to this little segment here. Um, more money. All right. We got a couple more. We got a couple more fun things to talk about after a quick break. See you in a sec. All right, and we're back. Um, and I'm going to start off this second segment with a piece of data. According to the latest point-in-time survey of Denver's homeless population, there are almost 7,000 people living unhoused across the metro region right now. That's 7,000 people without easy access to a shower, a bed, a warm meal. Uh, Joanne, I know this has been on your mind a lot lately. What are you thinking? Well, one of the things I've been thinking about is, of course, we, we need to put more money into people who need our help. You know, there's, there's a 7,000 unhoused people in the Denver area is just a sin and a shame. One of the little things that I'm doing, and I would encourage others to do this as well, is in addition to giving to organizations and charities and, and helping in that way, if you're walking on the street and you see someone who is holding up a sign saying they're homeless and they need help or you know, whatever the sign may read doesn't really matter, you can look at them and see that they in fact do need help. They need your help. So what I've started doing is I carry a wad of $1 bills and $5 bills with me where, wherever I go. And if I see someone who is asking for money, I walk over to them and I give them money. 
And I know that there are those who say, oh, you are just perpetuating their, their unhoused situation, their alcoholism, their drug abuse, any number of things people will say. I'm like, you really think if I don't give this person $5 that they are going to instead go, oh, let me get to a meeting and straighten myself out and get a job and make sure that I can support myself. That is so simplistic, it's almost scary when someone thinks that way. So I am an advocate of giving to people that you see are in need on the streets. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be money. It can be, and I see this a lot already, food. It, and it doesn't have to be food that's left over from your dinner. It can be food that you go somewhere. You see someone on the street all the time. Go and buy them a meal. Go and buy them a sandwich. Go get them something. Help them almost, help someone, let me, let me say it this way. Try and help someone at least a couple of times a week. Just do it. Because we will be helping them in a way that you have no idea. When I give someone a, a dollar, a dollar, that's not a lot of money to any of us sitting at this table. When I give someone a dollar and they look me in the eye and they say, thank you, ma'am, you really feel it. You see that that one dollar means a lot to them. And it's a way of saying, I see you. You're part of the community. I'm going to help you if I can. And I just would encourage people not to do like I gave a, 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 a person on, I think it was uh, 16th Street Mall, a $20 bill. It was a woman in a wheelchair who had a, a, a leg cut off. You know, where is she going to get money from? So I gave her this money, and some guy had the nerve to come up to me and say, why are you helping her? You know, she's just, yeah, you're just gonna, she's just going to go buy some drugs or alcohol and and, and, and th she's not going to buy food with that. And I said, well, first off, you don't know that. How do you, do you know her? How do you know that? And secondly, what if she does go and buy a pint? So what? Are you going to a five o'clock cocktail hour somewhere mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and, and alleviate mm -hmm. your pain and distress? Yes, in Behind all probability. Doors. Exactly. Doors. Is it because you can afford to do it on your own that it's okay for you to do it? You might be someone who gets drunk every night, you know, and so you're assailing me for trying to help someone because you've decided that they're not worthy. I'm like, kiss my ass, dude. That's making my blood boil a little bit here in that story, Joanne, yeah. I gotta tell you. Well, it's just weird moral policing that someone else is doing of you minding your own business, interacting with another human being in a public space, however you choose, is none of his business. None of his business. And it's like, who are you to pretend like you are God or a deity mm -hmm. or what? Who are you? I don't, I don't know you. Get away from me. Hmm. Oh Gross. God. Gross. Yeah. So I, I, just, I just think... Let's help. Help somebody. Try and help somebody two and three and four times a week if you can. And if you can't, just look at someone in the face. I mean, that's what I do if I'm passing folks on the street who are flying a sign. If I don't have cash, which often I don't, you're making me realize, like, maybe I should just carry some cash because I don't use cash a lot of other places. Just look at someone in the face and say hi. Like, exactly. you don't have to give something, but you can just be a person. Yeah. It's like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... I think um, also 
folks just need to re-examine their own uh, assumptions when they look at a person and they make a weird assumption like that. Like I'm an alcoholic in recovery. It is, I, it, this story would look very different if I was unhoused. Whatever I was dealing with would be out in the public and then everybody gets to judge you. And I hate that. Like another thing I would also recommend is like, I think about, you know, I talk a lot about harm reduction action center on the show. They do work with folks every single day. I drive by their, um, I drive by their location on Lincoln every Thursday and I see Ruth, one of their uh, folks that works there, out on the corner talking to her people, giving them food, inviting them in. Harm Reduction Action Center works with folks every day who are dealing with substance use issues in a real way. And in a real way, I mean, they're not, they're not the morality police. They're like, hey, do you want some breakfast? Do you need to charge your phone? Hey, can we help you connect with Medicaid? But none of that is about what you should be doing or what I think you should do or, you know, and like that is just the part that drives, that part, that drives me nuts that someone felt that they had the, who are they to come to you and say what you should do? We're supposed to deprive people Ugh. of their humanness. It's, it's uh, disgusting. It's just, get out of my face. Right. Like, I'm just like, Oh, I try not to get into fights, and I actually have never been in a fight with anyone, you know, physically, but I just, you know, okay, I'm going to calm down now. Can I just say, I will, I do, uh, you know, love helping people on the street if someone asks for money, but there is one exception I'll make, Uh, and Brie, you and I were talking about this yesterday, but there is one exception. Someone's begging for money on the street. I I will not give money to a juggler. Just (laughs) no Never, not a single cent. Are you gonna make if you're me, juggling, are you gonna make me air my beef, Paul? There's are, like these like Burning Man style guys that are usually at Alameda and Santa Fe, and sometimes they get all the way up to Alameda and Federal, and they have a sign that says like "Rob the Red Light Juggler" or whatever. Venmo me, and then yeah. here I'm gonna juggle oh, with my light up things, and like I get out of my intersection. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is, are, are they the guys, because I've seen this around Cherry Creek Mall, that, what is yep. it, first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they'll stand in the middle of the yes. street. Yes. I'm like, what is he doing? I just, I, I don't know why that just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> I have no problem with folks flying signs asking for money. Like, I, it, it, that's, I guess it's a free country, whatever. I don't know why. It just, like, drives me nuts. I'm like, go busk yeah. on the 16th Street Mall. Yeah. Like, take your talent to elsewhere, but don't stand in the middle of the street. It also makes me nervous. I'm, like, watching the light. And I'm like, is this guy going to move? Or he knows. You? He knows what he's doing. So, You anyway. should tell him, to take your talents to Miami and, be, and like, become, was it LeBron James who said that? Yes. Like, oh, yeah. South, South Beach or something. I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, take your, <laughs> oh, I was next like, where, Art Basel? Like, what are they doing? <laughs> tell them, tell them, take your talents to South take Beach. Take your talents to You'll the become desert. A, I don't know. <laughs> well, all right, listeners. The, the panel today says, uh, give money to people begging on the street unless they're jugglers. That's, that's the consensus here. Um, and let's wrap up here with a, a little preview of that column that we mentioned earlier, Joanne. So you're starting this new column for the Denver Post. The first one is is out now. People will put a link to it in the show notes. Do you want to give us a little bit of a, a little preview of what people can expect? Well, one of the things that has come returned to top of mind for me is issues of race. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the Deep South and lived through the civil rights era of the 60s. 
and even integrated my uh, the Catholic Girls High School down there. I was one of 30 students to integrate a school of about 800. And on the first day that I arrived, and I walked into the foyer, and there was just this sea of white girls, white faces everywhere you look. So I'm like nervous as hell. It's 1967. And I walk through, and I get about halfway through, and I hear someone yell out, I didn't know they let niggers up in here. And I was like devastated and really scared. So I finally got through that, you know, phalanx of white girls. And I, I've told this story a thousand times. And the reason I'm telling it now is because from maybe age four through 21, I, I recognized a lot about racism. And then from 21 to about 55, not so much. But in recent years, it has come back. Overt racism is a thing in America that people feel free to do, to be, to act out against people of color. And so my feelings, especially as I've gotten older and I've lived quite a bit, is that the most important issue to me right now is race. And concomitant with that is the lack of black generational wealth. It's an issue that I really hadn't thought about for a long time, but we were selling my dad's home fairly recently, and one of my brothers said, we should keep this in the family. We didn't, but for other reasons, but we should keep this in the family and pass it on. And I think since then, I've begun to think slowly and slowly about black generational wealth. And my column focuses on the fact that I take a, a, a stroll each evening. Well, I try every evening, but I don't always make it each evening. But I often will stroll through an area near my house that's uh, a middle, upper class area. Mm -hmm. And it's very white. It's overly white. It's extremely white. And it is a beautiful section of town. It's uh, Observatory Park. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. Those homes uh, are incredible. Yeah. But I find myself, as I'm thinking more and more about race, becoming angrier and angrier that there is this huge lack of black generational wealth across the country and here in Denver. Mm -hmm. So that essentially is me you know, being able to get my anger out and to write about it and to bring in instances of where we had a chance to make changes, but we didn't, and how people... It's usually when white people decide that this is an issue we need to examine, that things will change. So that's what I'm doing. I am writing about it so that people will think about it and then do something about it, not just continue to be complacent and say, well, as an individual, I have nothing to do with this. I agree, as an individual, but collectively, you have gained wealth through the generations in part thanks to racism. 
Fascinating. Such an interesting topic, Joanne. I'm so glad that you're writing this column. I cannot wait to read more from you more frequently. I'm so excited. Um, We're, of course, going to put a link to that first one in our show notes. And I have to say, a little preview for next week on the show, Brie had a great conversation with one of our favorite people, Theo Wilson. About this very topic. um, That's going to be on the show next week. So listeners, stay tuned for that and check out that uh, first column from Joanne in the show notes. I think we got to end it there. Brie, thanks for joining me. Thank today. you, Paul. Thank you, Joanne. Joanne, thank you so much for coming. It's been fun. I hope you'll You're have awesome. me back. Oh, my God. Oh, we'd love to have you back. Anytime. Anytime. I'd love to have you on again. You're wonderful. Also, I'm going to do a little bit of promotion here. Please do. Bring it on. Plug Check away. out Been There, Done That, my podcast. It's It tells the real-life stories of the baby boom generation, and you'll find my website at beentheredonethatpodcast.com. All right. Fantastic. See you all next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. And that's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, and Aaron O'Toole. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell a friend about us next time you see them. You can sign up for that daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week, everyone. This summer, watch out for ozone. Coming this August to every waking moment spent outdoors in this smoggy city.